0: hello adventure clubbers near and far welcome to september's show it's officially autumn my favorite season i absolutely love September. It's a time to return to those things that motivate our school and work. And I always look forward to Bonfire Night being a girl from Lewis. Halloween is not far off either. Very cosy, cosy time. I had the best Halloween parties when I was a little kid. Thanks to Mum and Dad. People are always surprised by sunshine in September because summer is apparently over. But I think the sunsets in autumn are some of the best around. The theme this month on Billy Elliot's Adventure Club is connecting to the self. Ooh, I wanted to dig really deep this time and explore ways in which we can better understand ourselves. So this show, we have a few guests to tell us all about meditation, intuition, karma, energy transference, and so much more. You're listening to Billy Elliot's Adventure Club on Radio Reverb. Let's get on with it, shall we? We have Alice Grist on the show, and um, she is an amazing person in the spiritual world, specifically with tarot. She's actually written a book called The Book of Tarot, which is fascinating. I absolutely love how personal you get within it. She's worked with thousands of clients to help them unlock self-belief and life purpose. Um, She's the author of Dirty and Divine, which I'm excited to hear more about, and the artist and co-creator of the Indie Deck, Cosmic Mother Tarot Cards, which she painted with her daughter. Um, Alice actually gives workshops and personal readings, often combining the tarot with meditation and other spiritual teachings. Alice, how are you doing today? I'm
1: great. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for having me on.
0: So Alice, I really have enjoyed your book, The Book of Tarot. I love how personal you get within it. You really talk a lot about your relationship with tarot and Just, I just think it's amazing. You describe tarot as a tool to connect to your own intuition. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, of course. And thanks for having me on, Billy. Um, Tarot for me, I mean, I've been reading tarot cards now for 30 years. So I started when I was basically a kid or teenager, taught by my dad and his wife, who were white witches, uh, goddess worshippers. So it comes from this spiritual perspective. But I think over the years, I've kind of Shifted in my relationship with tarot to find them more as a self help tool, a tool of our own intuition, and really evidence when you're using them that everybody has intuition and it's the tool that perhaps we haven't been taught how to use, how to utilize, how to practice. Um, And tarot make a really great way to do that um, by connecting with the symbols, the arts, the images on them, and kind of lets us have this one way. Uh, sort of very quick journey into our subconscious, I suppose. Um, So whether you want to take that further and call it a spirituality, or whether it's just like pinging things into our brains that we kind of already deep down know that somehow the images allow us to access, Either way, it has continued throughout my life to be really potent, really magical and allow me to have these incredible insights that often marry up really well with what my intuition is telling me. And intuition is really, really easy to ignore. I'm sure many of your listeners will have had intuitions on on situations, on people, on things, and they have ignored them and ended up regretting that. Um, Using tarot is, is a nice way to kind of get to know your intuition, to become familiar with it, to find some kind of ease and grace with it, and start to use it in everyday decisions, like really simple, easy stuff or, you know, career decisions. A lot of my clients are career people who are, you know, thinking of making a leap or changing things up. It's a really practical tool, as is intuition. So the two things combined is a massive, help, I think, to a modern life.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that what you said there. Um, You say on your website, the only expertise you need is the one you've already got. And it sounds a lot like you believe that people really already have the answers to to their problems and their woes and their decisions deep down. What do you think it would look like, the world, if everyone really truly believed that.
1: I think we'd all have a lot less limitations, a lot less blockages, and we would be so much more free to explore the things we love in life. You know, over the past decade, like I said before, most of my clients have come to me with a block around doing something that their heart wants them to do. And they're kind of thinking themselves out of it, Um, perhaps listening to the voices of fear that they have inherited from parents from school from uh, advisors from the community at large I think we all kind of absorbed fear around lack um, around not being good enough and not being able Um, but we all have things that we're passionate about that we love things that we uh, desire to do creatively and otherwise Um, and I believe that we can and should do them. I think they're kind of part of our life purpose. I think our life purpose shifts. Um, You know, sometimes your life purpose might be getting the kids to school on time. Other times it might be making sure that you eat well. Other times it's following these deep desires within our own hearts about what we want to do with life. So I think if we were to follow those passions and to try to overcome the blocks and the limitations and the fears, which does take work, then I think the world would be honestly slightly a happier place. And I've seen it with so many clients, you know, taking these risks, making leaps of faith, going against the grain of perhaps how they've been raised, perhaps what a teacher once said to them, and beginning to really embody some authentic truth about who they are, which spirals out you know, beyond them, to their families, to their communities, and helps us serve each other.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I really like what you said about the, the limitations and the fears uh, being based on sort of beliefs that we're not good enough. I actually think that um, a lot of people, well, like most securities and wounds are kind of coming from the story of not good enough or too much. That's almost like the deeper insecurity, the deeper wounds that limit us going forward. Uh, I've definitely found that tarot has been an amazing tool to unlock. um, Yeah, like you say, unlock self-belief. For people who are listening who don't know what tarot necessarily is, or perhaps they have a bit of a misconception that it's a kind of fortune telling thing. What would you say to them?
1: I would say, I mean, yeah, obviously tarot has a reputation of being a fortune-telling device, um, a tool of divination, and it has that aspect. We also all have free will and we can do whatever we want with that. I'm quite keen on using the tarot myself for reflection, for confirmation, for affirmation of where I'm going and what I might need to do to move into that life purpose, that passion I was talking about. So I think in in one respect, the tarot are a tool of divination. They are a tool of fortune telling in that they tell you what your best, highest self could possibly be. But when the cards are in my hands and I'm reading for my clients, I'm not giving them doom and gloom. I'm not telling them where they're lacking or where things have gone wrong. I'm looking at their highest potential at any given moment. And you know that might just be getting up and getting dressed in the morning. Um, that might be going to a therapist. That might be going to the doctors and getting something sorted out to get them into a happier place so that then they can really start to charge forward towards whatever it is that they want. But the tarot are not just a divination tool. They tell you, they're like this beautiful mirror that you look into and you see truths about yourself, which can be hard, it can be empowering. Um I guess it's like any kind of therapy where you're going to look deeply at yourself. There's going to be stuff you like, stuff you don't like. But the tarot allow you to kind of take a recce of that and figure a path forward um and they want you to do well When, when i say they the cards are just pretty pictures on a bit of paper so the they that i'm referring to can be your subconscious the collective conscious the you know something within you that has bold aspirations maybe it's spirit maybe it's angels i don't i don't know for sure and i think at times it shifts and changes maybe there's a whole team of collaborators in the ether somewhere that are bringing these cards to us at the exact right moment that speak to our hearts and that make us feel that we matter beyond perhaps what we've been previously informed by maybe capitalist culture. Um, so yeah, they are a tool of divination. They're also a cheerleader. They're also um, a tool that tells you how to get to a better, happier existence whilst looking at the future and you know you can do anything you want with that you can turn around and completely go against it and not take the advice that is given or the reflection that is given there's a million ways your life could play out um, and that's free will but the point i guess with the tarot is that there is a recipe a prescription there that will guide you towards a more magnificent greater more empowered and happier existence
0: yeah let me just pause there alice because there's a sort of scrabbly noise no it's my tortoise i'm sorry oh. it's my tortoise <laughs> it's
1: so, so random funny. i've been trying to push her out i'm gonna move oh, that's
0: on so funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what i expected you to she's say not, she's not <laughs> normally
1: in the house but she's um yeah. Oh, she's gone now. I've moved her
0: out. I'm definitely keeping that in, Alice. <laughs> That's so fine. I'm really intrigued by your mother-daughter collaboration. You've made these cards, um, the Cosmic Mother tarot cards. Um, what brought you to do this? What do you think it says about your relationship or you both as
1: mother and daughter? Oh, well, I adore her. Um, I adore both my daughters. I mean, they're like kind of... Big spark of magic in my life. But the reason we did it, she was four years old, Ivy was, and I just had my other daughter, Clover. So she was a newborn yeah. baby, and she was one of these unheard of babies that just sleeps all the time. You know, I could not keep that girl's attention. <laughs> she would just, I'd be trying to talk to her, she'd just fall asleep. Whereas Ivy's always been very, very um, alert and engaged and wants to do stuff with me all her life. That's how she was. Well, she still is like it now, but she, particularly when she was little. And so when Clover was sleeping, I was like, what can me and Ivy do to keep our connections, keep bonded that, you know, feels sort of special in his hours? And I just came up with an idea. Let's paint the entire tarot deck, 78 cards. Crazy idea, really, with a four-year-old. But she totally got on board. And I didn't, you know, I didn't plan to sell them. I didn't plan to professionally print them. It was just something we did. And it was fun and we got talking, you know, cause there's so many images and stories within the tarot, that you know, anybody can understand the four year old can understand and bring our own interpretations too. So I guess, we sat and we did it at the kitchen table while Clover slept and then towards the end I started to realise we actually had something. So I did a small print run and self-published them and it was a bit of magic and you know it built her confidence about her art. She still does art to this day amongst other hobbies. Well, yeah it was fun, I'm glad we did it.
0: And how old is Ivy now?
1: She's nine now.
0: Oh nice, so only four years until you got your own first deck when you were 13.
1: Yes, yeah, although she's not so interested in the tarot these days. She likes her art. She's got her own interest. My five-year-old, however, does like to sit and look at the pictures these days. And, and I'll just say to her, what's the story on this card? And that, you know, for anyone who wants to pick up a deck of cards, that's one way to start to interact with them and start to create your own meanings is to look at the picture and say, what is the story here? And then just mm-hmm. make something up. And already you are forging an understanding of that card. It doesn't have to be exactly what the book might say it is. Um, I think it's really important when people go to tarot that they start to create from the guts of their own life, their own understandings, the events that have happened to them and project that onto the card. And that is making them so unique and intimate with you that reading them becomes, you know, fun rather than some kind of exercise where you need to constantly be looking it up in the book.
0: Yeah, incredibly personal, I guess, as well. And, and and I guess also then tapping into that intuition that you were speaking of earlier. So do you think that tarot can be done with kids?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I started when I was quite young. I think there's no harm in it. A, a lot of people have this preconceived idea of tarot being some kind of devilish, demonic entity. It's not. It's a bunch of pieces of paper with pictures on that prompt you to go a bit deeper in your understandings of yourself um, and your life and where you want to go and they bring to the surface your hopes, your dreams, your fears and they ask you to kind of deal with all of that. So yeah, tarot can be done with kids. I guess like you would make anything child-friendly, you can make tarot child-friendly like I do with my five-year-old, tell me the story on the cards. I don't then start interpreting it or telling her how her life is going to be because I would tell her her life is going to be however she wants it to be but as she gets older I guess we can use the tarot to explore how to make the most of any situation how to overcome any difficulties that that child is experiencing and to how to allow them to recognize at a really early age that they are connected to so much more than perhaps the world at large tells them.
0: I was really intrigued by a little passage from the book. I don't know if you... Would you mind if I read a very short part of page three um, of your book? So um, when asked why you started getting into tarot, you said it was because I was a teenager and I desperately wanted to get a boyfriend. There was no (laughs) boyfriend until I was nearly 16 and even that was too brief and boring for the tarot to bother with. It was not a total loss for the tarot would inform me about all the boring things I didn't really care about, such as exams, studying, friendships and my spiritual connection. (laughs) What I learned during this time was that the tarot didn't pander to my fantasy, that the cards steadfastly report on truth and reality, whether we want to hear it or not. I really loved that. I think it was really funny and great. And the report on truth and reality line got me thinking about when you pull a, a card that's utterly perplexing and doesn't really resonate, no matter how, how hard you dig. What would you say to those moments when you pull a card that doesn't feel right?
1: Um, it's probably something you don't want to look at. Honestly, I've been there many, many times over the years where I've pulled cards, you know, particularly when I'm in an unhappy or difficult period of time, and you just don't want to accept that card for whatever reason you don't want to go that deep you don't want to do that work you really want something to tell you that everything is going to be okay which the tarot Mm. can do but you know sometimes you have to do a bit of work for everything to be okay so if you pull a card that stumps you or that you for some reason, feel really disconnected from, then I would say that there's definitely a lesson, there's something there for you, something that you're perhaps disconnected on from within yourself, something you're not seeing about your own actions, behaviour, thought patterns, um, habits, that perhaps needs further examination. And, you know, you can kind of interrogate the cards in other ways. You can ask a question that's slightly different to try and get to the bottom of it, Um You can, you know, take your tarot alongside other forms of help. You know, self-help books, therapy, good chats with friends. It's not to be taken in and of itself. Um, I think it forms a part of a of a path, whether that's a spiritual path or a self-help or and healing path. It's really, really valuable. But if there is something that you are not wanting to look at or that you are not resonating with, then that's a block within you because the cards are always a reflection of you, and it happens. And you have to kind of go deep to overcome that but the tarot will help guide you through that too
0: in that um passage that I read as well you said the tarot didn't pander to your fantasy didn't even mention your boyfriend um throughout the whole experience (laughs) did you did you figure that out as you went along was that kind of a long process for you realizing what the tarot really is for
1: yeah Yeah, because we're kind of raised to, to want certain things in life. Uh, women in particular are raised to want to, you know, have a, a boyfriend, a partner, a love interest. And that, that is, to a very real extent, the main thing we should be thinking about. And I, that still remains true, I think, to this day. You know, people ask my five-year-old if she's got a boyfriend yet. It's there very, very early on. So Tarot have actually helped me kind of undo some of that conditioning, Um, and recognize that the things that we think we want or that society tells us we should have or that make us more valuable and valid um, are really not the truth of who we actually are and whilst it can be frustrating they do lead you on a journey back to the truth of self which for me and many of my clients over the years has been creativity has been following some inner passion that they perhaps abandoned as children um, it's been wanting to connect with others so much more than the kind of, I guess, the stereotypical life that we are still fed to want. And whilst that has meaning, you know, I have children, I have a husband. It's all I have gone down that route to a very real extent and it has served me in its own way. But but yeah, Tarot will present you with other things or the depths of yourself that perhaps uh, your teachers or your parents won't teach you about.
0: So those listening who have never experienced tarot and are now thinking, maybe I'll give this a go. Do you have any top tips for them?
1: Yeah get yourself a deck right there's a lot of myths around the sort of decks you should buy people sometimes think that somebody else should buy you a deck that's one thing I've always heard that you should be gifted it that's nonsense I bought my first deck when I was 13 years old I had my book voucher from my grandparents (laughs) that I got every birthday and I headed down to the local shop this was before Amazon before even Waterstones just a local town bookshop and bought my russell grant astro tarot (laughs) which is a cute little deck you know so you've got to find a deck that really speaks to you as well because some people will buy a deck that they think they should have and they end up really struggling with connecting to that deck so get a deck that just lights you up not something that feels worthy or glorified or that perhaps your friend on instagram has but just something where you really like the images and then just start to pull a card a day um maybe pull it in the morning reflect on it later in the day how does the image on that card speak to what happened to you that day read about it in the book see where you can make connections do that for long enough and you soon have your own little library of events that you can correlate with the cards that make them feel really meaningful and personal to you and and just sort of go easy on yourself I think there's you know we all come from an education system where we're supposed to read a book and be able to quote it back or you know know the ins and outs of it for me tarot are very much about freeing your own inner interpretation and recognizing that your interpretation your understandings are more valid than perhaps anybody else's
2: Ah,
0: uh, yeah it's got me very excited as as the book did as well i really recommend any listeners to um get alice grist's book the book of tarot by alice grist we're running out of time alice how can people get in touch if they're interested in getting a reading from you um,
1: well uh, my website alicegrist.co.uk and I'm on Instagram all the time I do a lot of uh, readings and little reels and stuff for people's daily guidance that they can plug into that's um, alicegrist on Instagram and Facebook so I think I'm alicegrist on there too um, so I'd love for people to come check it out you know and either book a reading or just follow me and see take their guidance from from what I post on there.
0: So exciting to talk about Tairo with you, Alice Grist. We're out of time. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Billy.
3: your weave of.
0: Danielle Millis on the show and she is a UK based energy healer, a special kind of energy healing as well called Isui Reiki. Is that how you
4: pronounce it, Danielle?
0: Yeah, that's how you pronounce it, oh, yeah. So, Danielle, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more?
4: Okay, so my name is Danielle Millis and I work in Brighton. I have a Reiki practice called Macau Reiki and being a Reiki master teacher for just over four and a half years now. Mm. I've been really enjoying working in Brighton I actually moved to Brighton to start this practice I feel like it's a a really amazing place to be working and yeah I really enjoy what I've been learning from people and also what I've been able to give to them through the practice of Reiki. What do you mean about Brighton
0: being a really great place to learn in?
4: Well I just feel like the people here are really opened to alternative practices Mm -hmm. and i've just had the pleasure of meeting some very very interesting characters here
0: reiki is quite a divisive practice really in some ways isn't it i'd love you to explain what reiki is
4: yeah so reiki basically It's a hands-on healing practice. It's an alternative holistic therapy. It essentially works around life force energy. So the the main concept behind it is channeling life force energy, which is a, a bit of a metaphysical concept. However, it is believed by many other practices in alternative medicine all over the world, but definitely in the East. They have been practicing different therapies, modalities, that sort of work to enhance and heal with life force energy. So it originates from Japan. However, the founder, uh, Dr. Mikau Asui, He founded it in 1920s, and in Japan at that time there was a sort of historical revolution, if you like, within the country. They were getting into globalization and opening up the borders towards letting other countries in, and the nationals were going out to explore um, other countries and practices. And the founder, he had uh, sort of Tibetan-Buddhist roots, Mm. Uh, But he wanted to learn how to heal like the Buddha uh, and Jesus. And so he spent around uh, 20 20 to 25 years uh, traveling uh, the world. So he went to sort of uh, India and China and also learning within his own country and, you know, within Buddhism sect that he belonged to. And he essentially found many different beneficial practices, but mainly discovered that life force energy was present within all of them. And after gaining this knowledge, he did a 21-day uh, meditation and fast on Mount Karama, which is, is like a holy mountain out there. And uh, he discovered from source, from God, these uh, sacred symbols, which he had, you know, found in certain Buddhist monasteries that he was given access to certain healing symbols. However, he didn't really know how to use them and he wasn't given as many as he was given after his meditation. And um, yeah, basically he, he received insight from God, from source, of how to use these symbols. And the story goes that after he received this insight, he sort of said, well, how will I remember them? And they said, well, you just will, because uh, there was five that he was given um, and all their meanings and how, how to use them. As he walked down the mountain, he apparently stubbed his toe and it was bleeding. And he placed his hands over the wound And instantly it stopped bleeding and and the pain was removed. So Mm. that's how the story goes. However, there's a lot of uh, sort of conflicting information. But I would say that that is the most sort of concurrent story that is within the Reiki community. Right. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that story. That's really
0: interesting. Okay, so you've told us a little bit about the history and the origins of Reiki. I'm really interested to know who it can help.
4: I would say that it can help everybody. I believe in today's day and age, people are suffering from a lot of stress, I would say. You know, that stress is pretty rife in society. And essentially the practice helps you to get into a deeply relaxed state that can you know benefit everybody however more specifically people with physical pain or people with mental health issues or especially trauma which is is sort of what I like to specialize in working with trauma I believe it works with physical ailments physical illnesses uh, as well as mental health issues and and illnesses as well
0: okay let's move on um so obviously you have a deep belief in this practice and there's so much evidence to suggest that it does work what do you say to those who aren't believers in energy transference and reiki and and these things
4: well i i believe that quantum physics is coming a long way and it teaches us everything is essentially energy Uh, So there is there is science behind this with the practice of Reiki itself, I would say to to try it, you know, to actually allow yourself to try it. People that, you know, if they don't believe, then I would say, you know, feel the energy that you feel when you're outside, for example. You know, when you're outside in nature, that is sort of one of the biggest sources of life force energy and one of the purest because it sort of is very potent within uh, natural sources, natural live sources. And I think that would be sort of the closest um, example I can give, you know, to what reiki feels like it's it's almost like being outside on the most glorious day surrounded by hundreds of trees and nature just in its full
5: form
0: yeah that's such a good point and that's such a nice reference because it is true and you know people are starting to prescribe aren't they doctors up in scotland are starting to prescribe woodland walks to those with mental health issues um So, you know, yeah, it's becoming very mainstream now, this idea that um, nature is very good for a well-being. Um, But it's amazing to hear that that relates to Reiki and the energy thing. I think that's really interesting.
4: Yeah, I would say, you know, to try it, to find a practitioner that calls to you, that you feel there's some sort of pull towards them. Uh, Find somebody that resonates with you and give it a go. And I would say uh, it's, it's not really something that you should just want to try. I would say, you know, for those that are curious, perhaps try you know um just learning about life force energy first of all and then seeing if those sort of practices would resonate with you you know it's not for everybody because sometimes if people have got sort of unreal trauma or issues that potentially they don't want to work with it could be a little bit you know a bit of a shock to the system uh, because basically it helps to remove that and the way that reiki does that is by sort of bringing that up within the individual and allowing you to feel that which essentially is allowing you to heal that allowing you to sort of clear that and to replace that energy with what you would prefer which would be something that would make you feel better, something that would increase your life force energy. Yeah, is basically what it does in... I don't know if that... That's great.
0: And and it's so interesting, actually, because you said that it kind of helps people to feel things in order to heal them and you know they say don't they that emotions if when people bring up emotions it's really just energy in motion so i really like what you said there about how it can help people to feel things in order to heal things and i'm very much on the in that boat of um, allowing everything to pass through the body and so yeah reiki sounds like a really great practice in order to help that happen Okay yeah. then. Well, for those who are listening who might be interested in getting in contact, how do people find you? Yes.
4: Yeah, so my website is www.macaoreiki.co.uk, and it's a Chinese word. Uh, the the Macau part, uh, which is M-U-C-A-O, and then Reiki R-E-I-K-I. Um, and yeah, that's my website. That's where I um, offer my courses and my services. I do teach. Uh, really amazing beautiful outdoor spaces uh around west sussex and east sussex but again i also work from practices in brighton thank you so much
0: danielle it's been great to talk to you
4: thank you very very much it's been amazing speaking with you
2: I saw it written and I saw it say
0: That was Pink Moon by Nick Drake and earlier we had White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, of course. You're listening to Billy Elliot's Adventure Club on Radio Reverb. This month's theme is connecting to the self and we're diving deep to explore the pool of self-knowledge and awareness. It's been a really thought-provoking show so far. Let's crack on with our last guest. (laughs) A new friend of mine, Jo Wagland, is on the show. She is a queer doctor working within psychiatry and a Buddhist and, I'd like to say, an adventurer of sorts.
5: Jo, how are you doing today? How are you? How are you faring? I'm good, thank you. I've got a coffee, I'm happy and I'm having a restful day.
0: Excellent. So today we're talking a little bit about meditation and I'm kind of intrigued to get your perspective um, about sort of different parts of your story around meditation, I guess, partly being a doctor working within psychiatry and partly as a Buddhist and somebody who has a regular meditation practice. I think that's a really nice balance actually between kind of mainstream mental health and this sort of like Um, I guess Buddhism, I don't know whether you'd say Buddhism is in the mainstream. Um, It's a hard one to answer, maybe, I don't know. But um, a sector of society in which meditation is part of the everyday experience. I'd be really interested to know what kind of meditation you do.
5: I think um, it's changed, actually. So I've been meditating for about five years. And um, gosh, when it started off, I learned to meditate using a well I learned to meditate for stress reduction really so I did a mindfulness-based stress reduction course at the London Buddhist Centre and learnt some of the meditations that they do there um, which is one called the mindfulness of breathing uh, where you focus on what your breath feels like in the body and one called the metta bhavana which is focused on developing positive emotion and I still do those and they have changed and developed uh, a huge amount over the last five years. And I know for people that have been meditating for longer, uh, 25 years, more, uh, they continue to change and just deepen, really. The Pasana meditation, which is very focused on your body sensations, and open awareness meditation, which is much more focused on not focusing on something. It's quite hard, but better on a retreat because you're you're a bit more concentrated yeah I've tried quite a few different things also dance meditation is quite important to me and movement meditation too so I do five rhythms or ecstatic dance where it's kind of like an open awareness meditation but also you can focus on sensations too so depending on what practice I'm doing at that point I'll try and bring them into the dance and see how it goes it Mm -hmm. has variable results Mm. yeah speaking of results um seems
0: like something that's really benefited your life why do you think we need meditation in society or as individuals
5: oh that's a really good question and one that i'm not sure i can answer in a short amount of time um i think that we have very very busy and chaotic lives And I think that our minds are very, very busy. And by how our lives work now, we're quite disconnected actually from our body and from ourselves. You know, we're using our phones, we have to go to work and travel, there's adverts everywhere. And meditation, I suppose it is most basic, is just a space to sit with yourself without distraction. And it can go in so many different ways for self-exploration, stress relief, developing positive emotion and to be honest, I think it's quite essential. I don't I know it doesn't work for everybody, but um, it's been so important for me.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah on saying that about it not working for everybody, I was reading an article that speaks about how meditation doesn't benefit everyone and someone in it poses the question when are unpleasant experiences important element of meditative development and when are they merely negative effects to be avoided? What do you think as a doctor working in psychiatry and a meditator about that?
5: So that's a really interesting question as well. Of course, in meditating, you're faced with all and any emotional states that can come up within a human mind, which is, you know, all of them. It's not just nice. I think often when people start meditating, they can calm down a bit. There's a sort of beginner's mind or beginners awareness thing where and this happened with me when I first started meditating my mind calmed down and it was amazing and I suddenly had loads of positive mental states and I was sort of like wow I can't believe this and I think at some point if you meditate for a while you're gonna have negative or difficult stuff come up and that's a part of you as a person often and it depends Mm -hmm. on really your conditions in life, if you're able to work with that at that point, or if it might be more helpful to try something else, come back to it, maybe get some therapy if you need that. Yeah, negative states of mind will come up. I suppose if it's coming up a lot frequently and not changing very much, then it would be worth trying something else, getting someone to help. But if it's sort of infrequent, you're able to work with those negative mental states, and it can actually be quite beneficial for growth and deepening your practice and your knowledge of yourself really yeah if meditation was for everyone what do you think
0: the impact would be on the whole of society if everyone did it and everyone was flowing with it nicely
5: wow that would be quite something wouldn't it
0: yeah. i think
5: that so the people i know that meditate tend to over time make changes in themselves and their lives which are quite obvious I've And people tend to be calmer, they tend to be more relaxed, they tend to be more compassionate and empathic, and they tend to change the things that they do in their life to benefit other people. So from working in maybe a A corporate job, for example, to working in something in healthcare. I mean, Mm. that's just an example of a friend. I'd like to imagine that if everybody meditated, and if it was for everybody, then we could move towards a more compassionate, healing society with less of the issues that we face in society now. Okay,
0: I'm really intrigued to hear a bit more in depth about how it's benefited you.
5: So yeah, I came to it while I was in medical school in London. I had started doing yoga for my body and for stress and figured that I was still very stressed and I found a mindfulness-based stress reduction course at the London Buddhist Centre so I started doing that and I really did find quite early on that I was able to calm my mind Mm -hmm. and be more aware of my mental states as they were happening and find a sort of gap in between something happening and me reacting and that made my life feel more spacious. It made me more aware of things around me. So, you know, people and events, but also just basic things like colours and sounds became more rich. I remember starting meditating and relatively quickly, actually, starting to appreciate the city as a painting. At night, if it had rained or the streetlights on the ground would just, it would, it would glow. It would just look so beautiful. And I just remember appreciating beauty so much more. And that was in the kind of the early days. Later on, it's brought up more difficult emotions for me. And I've been able to, some of the time, (laughs) work with them in a really helpful way. And I think longer term, it's actually changed my outlook on life hugely and brought me into contact with some pretty incredible people. Um, So I'm very grateful, actually.
0: It's definitely helped me with my general outlook. For me, it's been a really great opportunity to just like accept everything. Mm. and anything and any feeling um, and any kind of um, pain in the body and just the general like radical self-acceptance that comes from meditating regularly has been hugely impactful and helped me to really hold myself through loads of change um, where maybe in the past I would have felt very anxious that when anxiety comes up in in my practice and even in my just daily life in general, Mm. it's just... Completely held, and I almost embrace it. It then sort of seems to sort of dissolve in a way that I wouldn't think would happen if I didn't meditate. I and mean, the way I meditate is through an app. Nice, yeah. I find guided yeah. much better for me personally because I'm a sort of person who gets quite distracted quite easily. With a guided, it's almost like there's a bit more uh, nudging to letting those feeling thoughts go and being very yeah. present in the moment. But the general presence for me has made me feel like I'm so much more capable to take on challenges every day or any day of the week. Has that happened for you at all?
5: Yeah, when my practice has been quite strong, I've definitely felt that way. Having that basic increased level of acceptance and also when you come back to your practice, I don't know, in the morning, being able to feel, I would say grounded, almost feeling like a centre of yourself in yourself, which then you act Mm -hmm. upon during the day. I started with meditation, but through my interest in that and the experiences and benefits I got from that, I sort of branched off into Buddhism. I was very, very resistant at first being brought up atheist. I thought it was strange. Oh, but, really? Um, oh, yeah, it was, it was quite, quite a lot of resistance. But um, I just found it fascinating after a while, I think. Very, very resistant to the more religion-y aspects of it. But the psychology and the neuroscience within Buddhism, I thought was fascinating and found the other practices within Buddhism which can support a ethical life even when your meditation is a bit naff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So things like like friendship and practice of ethics and just changing things in your life in that way and that has helped as well. In Buddhism ethics is more about your actions and your actions having consequence but not in a you did bad you did good kind of way it's more skillful or unskillful there's no blame associated with it so ethics in buddhism is strongly linked to what we think about as karma which again is not really the the popular understanding of karma it's more just an understanding that actions have consequences and actions Mm -hmm. can be skillful or unskillful but there's not blame associated with that it's just that Whatever action you do, there will be some consequences that you may not be aware of, which isn't quite a you are bad, there's sin involved or anything like that. There is also an understanding that none of us are perfect and that we all do skillful and unskillful actions through most of our life. Mm. And it's just about trying to understand as it's happening what actions are skillful and unskillful. And it will be different for everybody actually, what what mm. is skillful and unskillful. And then kind of the next time you are presented with the opportunity to take an action thinking, okay, maybe I can change how I'm doing it now.
0: Oh, so interesting. Skillful or unskillful actions.
5: Rather than bad or good, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. That really, like, adjusts things, is not it, in a quite nice way. Do you have anything or any knowledge of how the brain actually changes when you meditate? This
5: might be a bit rusty, but I have looked into it, yeah. Um, so one of the things that first got me interested in starting meditation was when I was doing my neuroscience degree, reading that, Long term meditators have their happiness levels completely off the scale on brain scans. I don't know, the researchers could get a monk in an fMRI scanner and say, Okay, can you feel happiness? And the monk would be like, Okay. And then they'd look at this part of the brain and it would just be lighting up beyond what they'd find in in non meditating people. So I thought, That's pretty great. It'd be nice to be able to do that. Maybe I'll start meditating. And so I suppose that's just the happiness, positive emotion aspect, and anyone can develop positive emotion. It is something that you practice, which I thought was fascinating, because I hadn't thought about that beforehand. What You can practice feeling positive? What? But um, even beyond that, so there's a certain network of connectivity in the brain called the default mode network, which some people might have heard about. It's effectively a pattern of activation of parts of the brain that happen when you're thinking about yourself so almost self-referential thinking and when someone has been meditating for a longer period of time you can see that certain parts of the brain have changed in their size so some parts are thicker and some parts are smaller but what Mm. seems to happen is that this default mode network or your self-referential thinking reduces in how much it's activated And that kind of seems to translate into people being happier because they're not so obsessed with thinking about themselves and worrying. Wow. With people who are depressed or anxious, this default mode network tends to be overactive. So there's a sort of link there. So that's a sort Mm. of quite a beautiful scientific, I don't know, evidence for meditation having a functional change on the brain and structural change. Yeah
0: the brain is kind of a muscle in a way and and we're able to sort of exercise specific parts of it to make them stronger. Absolutely. Nice. We're running out of time, Joe, and um, I would love to ask you if you had a challenge for the audience. Often in this show, I ask the guests to set a challenge, something really doable for anyone who's listening who'd like to take on something new this month. Um, until next time do
5: you have any ideas wow oh gosh yeah i might just run run through a couple if people are interested in starting meditation there are lots and lots of apps available so something like headspace or something like insight timer and there's lots of free lots of free meditation courses online i would suggest maybe just starting with sitting for one week try 5 minutes a day just sitting with your with your thoughts or trying to sit and focus on your breathing and you can just count your breaths 5 minutes a day for one week and see how you go an alternative for people who already meditate book on a retreat and see how your meditation changes and the retreats I've been on have been life changing
0: you've been on a bit of a retreat spree recently haven't you <laughs>
5: yeah with the pandemic letting things happen again i have been going on a few they're very different but some of them have been really special to me
0: yeah but each time it's a completely different experience
5: yeah sometimes i just sleep all the time and sometimes have quite visionary experiences
0: (laughs) Mm, amazing amazing uh joe it has been so great to talk um we're at the end of our time now so um We'll say goodbye. But thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been so fun.
3: <laughs> Radio Reverb. 97.2.
5: Radio, Radio, Radio
3: Reverb. Reverb. Back to life. Back to reality.
0: That was Back to Life by Soul to Soul, chosen as a kind of ode to the back to work and school month of September. And also, it felt somewhat fitting as a bookend to our exploration of tarot, reiki and meditation in all their whimsical ways. Hmm, What a beautiful show though. Eye-opening and soothing to the soul. I know I'll be amping up my tarot practice this month as the days get ever so slightly shorter. There I said it. Now it's time to say goodbye for another month adventure clubbers and the clubbers you rightly are. Next month will be this show's one year anniversary and of course we will be sure to celebrate. You can Check us out on Instagram at Billy Elliot's Adventure Club. Give us a follow to get a more exclusive insight into our guests and content before each show airs. That's Billy Elliot's Adventure Club, B-I-L-L-I-E, Elliot's with one L and one T, Adventure Club. And if you want to come on and tell our listeners about something you're trying to brighten up your life, send us a message. No adventure is too small and it would be lovely to hear from you. Good luck to all those getting back to routine. Till next time, gang.
3: Searching for violence Praying for clarity March, strip me naked Take this identity Tell me it's unity In La Caesha, I I am you, you are me. Searching for balance, praying for clarity. Marsh strip me naked. Take this identity, tell me it's unity. In La Caixa, La Kesha. more holy, see the world more slowly, Take more roses Searching for balance, praying for clarity, March strip me naked. Take this identity, tell me it's unity In like a It's so mystical, magical And no, we don't know our potential How could we, when they lie They cast spells and they try Dropping bombs from the skies Like we are not stars Inside me there's a wall
1: Yeah we